Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host, Sinan. I'm Jamie. And I'm Ben. Yes, we did it! <laughs> Two out of four, 50% baby. That's right, we are 50% competent. And also, our intro music is by our good friend Jordan, who is on Com Radio. That's right. That, that's it. We nailed it. We can all go home now. Yeah, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Yeah. Episode over. Right, everyone. <laughs> Back it up. I gotta beat the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna beat the traffic, I say, working from home. A lucky bastard. Yeah. So, last time, we had decided to talk about all of the reforms. Well, not all of the reforms, because there were like a shit ton of them. But we hit the key reforms up to 1928, which were a lot. And there were hat related laws. And we managed to. <laughs> We managed to get Jeb Bush in a cow pack out of it as an emote, which I think is pretty good. That was, a, that was like a 12-minute job I was doing to distract myself from writing my own YouTube script. I was just like, I'm going to make Jeb Bush in a cow pack and see how that goes. And it went really well. But today we're going to talk, we're going to go back to 1923, but we're going to go back to where we started. Not, not 1919, not that far back, but we're going to go back to the beginning of the Turkish Republic. Talk a little bit about, you know... Some of the more dramatic stuff that may have happened, rebellions, alleged assassination attempts based on fake letters. Oh, fake letters were, were big in the 20s, weren't they? Yeah, there were a lot of fake letters. We're going to go over a couple of the people who are very important to Kemalism, and also people who you can have in Hearts of Iron for, which is basically what this entire <laughs> section of it is based on. <laughs> Incredible. And... Uh, and uh, and we're going to talk about the, f well, technically the first official opposition party that Turkey ever has. Oh. Who have one of the coolest logos for a political party I've ever seen, which I've put in, in one of our chats somewhere. Were they a communist party? Uh, no, they were, well, I won't spoil it, but they were, in a way, the first official melt party. Oh. They were kind of like the Cuptigs, actually, in a lot of ways, except they were like... Actually, to be fair, every single party we're talking about that's not the Republican People's Party today will be like the Cuptigs in some way. <laughs> so... Controlled yeah. opposition. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, that was the problem. They weren't controlled. That was the issue. Oh. I, I would say that, like, Sukarno, you know, he really took inspiration from what Mustafa Kemal did with the, uh, what was it, managed democracy. Oh, yes. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's what we should really have. We should have managed democracy. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> it's good that we don't have it in this so, country, yeah? Yeah, we've never had a managed <laughs> democracy in the UK. Like, it, It's certainly not the case that the opposition party in the UK only wins when it's a copy of the right-wing party <laughs> and only when right-wing newspapers let it win. No. It's not the case. It's just not the case. Absolutely yeah. not. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's set a bit more of the scene here. So Turkey... Like a lot of countries in interwar Europe, was a single party state with a strong man leader. That is, that is the truth of it, you know. People seem to have this weird thing about interwar Europe where they're like, oh, you know, there were lots of, you know, it was the start of a lot of democracies. And I'm like, interwar Europe's when like Mussolini and Hitler happened. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> like, they're like, oh, you know, a lot of new countries formed and they were republics and therefore I assume they were completely fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, yeah. Republic just means they don't have a fucking king in charge. Yeah, so yeah it was the era, it was the era of trains running on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except they, except they still didn't run on time in Italy. And it, it, like Mussolini literally just changed the timetable to match when the trains <laughs> were arriving. <laughs> so, I'm just thinking of all these 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 democratic, you know, leaders like uh, you know Iannis Metaxas and Kemal Ataturk, and <laughs> you know. Miklos Horthy. <laughs> well, if you ever watch, like, these old, like, I don't know, it's not British Pather, but it's, like, the American version of it mm. that talks about, like, Turkey in the 30s. They're like, Mustafa Kemal, Turkey's dictator so that it has no more dictators. And famously, that ended really well. <laughs> Country that had no dictators after that point at all. None. None. No dictators. They're all, they're all military hunters. That's, that's very different. Yeah, it's a completely different thing. It, it, a hunter has m way more people, you know, influencing policy decisions, which is kind of what I'm getting at with this episode a little bit, which is that 
we get like strongman regimes wrong a lot. Or I say we. Liberals get strongman regimes wrong a lot of the time. Because they don't understand how power structures work in countries that are strongman regimes. Because, you know, Mustafa Kemal was important, right? But why then did he have to put, you know, three really close allies in critical positions right after winning a national liberation struggle? If he didn't feel like there was some power base outside of himself that could have influenced policy. Yeah, but liberals not understanding something. <laughs> yeah. So I had to have a drink. I've been boiling today in this in this cube where I record um, <laughs> the recording cube. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there are pressures on strongmans, and it's it's on strongmen. <laughs> I guess it doesn't fucking matter. There are pressures on strongmen, and. That's it. Still laughing. Strong man. We're gonna call them strong mans from now on. That's in the stale gate. Yeah, strong mans. That's it. Yeah, I've got to leave that in now because we're doing bits around it. Fuck's sake. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, it's not important. It's not important. I'm not owned. We're carrying on. Strong mans. Strong mans. Cool game for attractive people. That's That's it. it. But yeah, it's especially relevant now because everyone is really, really angry at one particular strongman regime for reasons that are entirely justified, I would suggest. But they're very angry at it, but they keep doing shit like, why doesn't someone assassinate the (laughs) fucker? And I'm like, that's insane. You don't understand how the power structures of these countries work. Like... They're like, oh, if we just shoot the bad guy, oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, then it's, it's very democracy will yeah. prevail. Very much like Assad must go. It's a similar kind of dynamic. Yeah, we'd be welcomed as liberators. That's right, and this is true. <laughs> and it's just like, what do you think? Like, who do who do you think take anyway? There's a reason why in the Cold War, America and the Soviet Union both generally agreed that assassinating the heads of states of nuclear powers was off limits. They didn't do it. There was a reason why they didn't do it, and they seem to have largely stuck to it, depending on whether you believe some of the JFK conspiracies. <laughs> well, it doesn't count. It doesn't count if you assassinate your own. Yes, it's true. Yes, yeah, that is true. Yeah, each one gets one free assassination of their own leader, or forced deposition, I guess, in Khrushchev's case. Mm. But we're gonna we're gonna try and see what some of the pressures may have been on the old Republican People's Party and its leader, Mustafa Kamal, and see why some things may have happened. Why did some things happen? And why did he, why did he react in the way he did to certain things? So, we're still in 1923. The party, it's still technically called the Association of Rights in 1923. But I'm going to call it the Republican People's Party because that's what it's called now. So we're just going to call it the Republican People's Party, and nerds in the chat can just sort of... Well, not in the chat, but in the replies can cry about it, I guess. <laughs> I refuse... I'm still in streamer mode. I refuse to yeah. call it anything on, but Chehep. Sorry, we've got to be proper yeah, about this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I... If you're mad about it, go on someone's stream chat and yell at them. Yeah, especially now I'm not yeah. streaming anymore. The Republican People's Party, it is the one party, right? It is the big party. It has literally everyone in it, basically, except like the communists, because the communists were the first legal communist party in Turkey. You know, they're founded in 1920. They they exist as a party, but I would suspect communists have snuck into the Republican People's Party. And this is like a lot of other like national liberation movements in the global south, because you know, if dickheads are invading you and killing all of your civilians you tend to sort of not be that bothered about whether you're pressing the communism button or the, or the you know, market liberalism button yeah. too much. Tend to, you tend to, go for the, uh, tend to go for the more immediate problem. And, you know, I, I, as I wrote in my notes, slam the communism button or have a constitutional caliphate or have Turkish map YouTube in charge. It doesn't matter at that point. You just got to get... You can figure it out later, yeah. right? It says it... It's it's popular frontism. You got to have you know, you got to have the sort of national bourgeoisie on side, and you have to have the communists as well, and the fascists, and all the rest of it, just all mixed in together in a lovely kind of pile. Yeah, it's all it's all fine. Yeah, you mix them together in the same factory, <laughs> and then weapons are added to it, and it comes out as years ago. <laughs> What's wrong with that? You know, <laughs> but the Republican People's Party has a pretty big faction of people who are members of the Committee of Union and Progress, who, 
You might, mm. in the uh, those of you listening, might know them as the Young Turks, but the Young Turks are technically this is like a very technical, like they were in the SS, not the <laughs> Nazi Party kind of distinction, <laughs> but they are ever so technically slightly different groups because the Young Turks are like the leadership of the Committee of Union and Progress. So some of them were Young Turks, not all of them were, but they're also ideological opponents of Mustafa Kemal because they believe in, you know, the maps on YouTube. Oh. Siberia to Morocco. Oh no. You know, Siberia to Morocco, and everyone is going to be speaking some horrible amalgam of all of the Turkic languages. Because it's fine. It's, it's fine. You can do that very quickly. And It's all one language anyway, as we will probably come to. Yeah, Etruscan, Turkish, Uzbek, all one language, really. <laughs> What a weird selection of languages to have picked out. It's almost but, as if they're orbiting some sort of celestial body. Yeah. Actually, that's not where that comes from. Oh, okay. We'll explain that in the in the 30s episode. When we talk about 30s, I guess it's not a reform so much as like cultural revolution, but we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in that episode. Mm. But that's not where the sun in sun language theory comes oh. from. I thought, I thought I'd cracked it there. It's even funnier and more fucked up than that. Yes. It is incredible. It's the dumb. It's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Oh yes. Like, but I can't. I can't spoil it. So, the Committee of Union Progress, their opponents of Mustafa Kemal, they deliberately impeded his military career, or at least that's the propaganda story about it. You know, they didn't give him promotions because he was a minor party member who was in the minority faction who were like, why don't we not do gigantic, ridiculous maps and consolidate to an area where most of the people speak Turkish and also the terrain is really defensible? Oh, that sounds almost sensible. Yeah, why don't we do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and also the Republican People's Party at least officially were like, we're not an ethno-nationalist party. We're a civic nationalist party. Anyone born in this territory is a Turk. But also, don't speak Kurdish under any circumstances <laughs> or we will arrest you and throw you in jail. These days. These days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, clip is going in my, that clip is going in my YouTube channel. These days clip as well. So, <laughs> any excuse. Oh, any yes. Excuse. So, but you get the idea. This is a big party with a lot of internal tensions in it. So you got like liberal melt types who are like, oh, I just want to do economic liberalism and force women to wear a headscarf. Those are like, that's their main political thing. Oh. You know, they're like, when it's not Mustafa, it's not Mustafa Kemal's reforms that are the problem. It's Mustafa Kemal. Kemalism without Mustafa Kemal. That's what we need. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that is, we'll get to that, but that is a for real oh. actual thing that happens. Oh boy! Which bolsters another bolsters another theory of mine about another politician. But anyway, <laughs> so so are you um, saying there is a place for Kemalism in British politics, or there should be because <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like Kemalism, as sort of established by the Six Arrows, would be very popular in the UK. Oh, undoubtedly, yeah, yeah, because it's like we're gonna nationalise everything. And also, we're just going to do what... We're going to, you know, if the population vote for something, we're just going to fucking do it. That is literally the two things the British people want. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they're like, if the British public vote to execute nonces publicly, well, then we'll fucking do it. That's the Kemalist <laughs> understanding of it, so... True democracy. Yeah, sovereignty unconditionally belongs to the people, as yeah. the old Kemalist expression goes. One of the six arrows is for love and Millwall, and another one is for hating your wife. <laughs> Simple as. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to the six arrows in a future episode, because they, they are... Uh, they're not very coherent <laughs> sometimes. But, but yeah, this is a big party with a lot of tension in it. You know, all sorts of all sorts of dynamics at play. And also, you've got to remember, a lot of these people are, like, in the Republican People's Party, who are near the top of the party. They're military officers. So they have a particular educational background. A lot of them have a particular class background. Mm. You, you know, you get the idea. These are, these are... This is why reform more than revolution here, because these are the people who were in charge before. You know, you've got Committee of Union and Progress members, including Mustafa Kemal, who was a member of that party. You know, in charge. He's a member of everything, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he was also the leader of the Turkish Communist Party brackets official. So, <laughs> you know, 
the thing about being a broad party with lots of tension in it is when you actually make decisions, because remember, we talked last time about Turkey and how fucked it was after, you know, what was it? Seven, eight straight years of war. Oof. You have to make decisions then, right? And some of your decisions are going to alienate some of the people involved in your party. This is a lot like what people think will happen to the SNP when Scotland gets independence. Because once you've done that, I mean, you know, it's just that in Turkey there weren't like there wasn't like a you know Anatolian Labour Party ready to go, <laughs> led by the Turkish equivalent of Anasawa or whatever. But actually, actually, just, actually led by Mustafa Kemal himself. Yeah, every party <laughs> is secretly led by. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a lot like that feeling about people. But the thing is, for, if you're Ataturk, this is good because he is the king lib. Right, he wants multi-party democracy to be up and running ASAP because that's a thing that he sees Western countries doing. Right? Yeah. He looks at Britain and he sees, oh, that Liberal Party got fucking owned by the Tory Party and now they got replaced. And then there's a Labour Party now. Interesting. That's multiple parties. I would like that. Do, here. do you think he would have like politics nerd in his bio if he was, you know, with us today? I don't think so because I don't think he was terribly personally political. <laughs> <laughs> like. He's he did, he's never depicted as very political in a lot of um a lot of depictions of him. He's always just depicted as the guy who makes the decision. Literally, like I was elected to lead, not to read. Oh, nice. It, it is a bit like that because he he kind. Of, well, this is the thing why I'm going to introduce two other characters today because they're the ones who did a lot of the politics. But we'll get to them in a second. But yeah, he basically looks at them and goes, "Multiple parties, good." I, I'm not commenting on that, on whether it's good or bad, whether liberal democracy is good or bad, but he wanted to emulate what liberal democracy looked like in, 20, in the 1920s in these countries that he looked at, like America and Britain and all these other ones, which is why he was like, people should vote, mm. which I suppose is fine, you know. Yeah. yeah. Suppose. We're, we're a pro-voting podcast. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, people like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. Yeah, so, right. yeah. you know, I just, I don't know, you know. <laughs> so, he, he is the strong man still, right? And the, par- the parliament is entirely of his own party. He needs, he needs his allies in place, right? So he puts three trusted people into key positions. Now, one of them is not very important. He's the Speaker of the House. He was the Speaker of the House for 12 years. And the Speaker of the House was kind of temporarily like the Prime Minister before they established a republic. So the original first speaker of the parliament in Turkey was Mustafa Kemal. Oh, nice. Because he was the president. Yeah, like, he's the first one. He was never prime minister or anything. That was Ismet Inun's job, right? Or whoever else was unlucky enough to have to have that job instead of him. Because he kept having to come back, as we'll talk about. But the two important ones are Fevzi Chakmak, who is, if you'll recall, he's the general who took over from Ismet Inun on the Western Front. Uh Uh-huh. He is the only other field marshal in the modern Turkish Republic because you can only attain the rank of field marshal in Turkey if you lead in an actual war. Oh. Otherwise, you don't. You can never get the rank, which is why there are only two of them. Huh. So there you go. So he is in. So um, Ataturk is something of a generalissimo as well. Nice. What's his stats like? I mean, to be fair, if you get him in Hearts of Iron Four, he's really fucking good. Hell yeah! You can call him out of retirement if the Soviets attack. That's why we keep getting owned with the Politburo. Yeah, he he's fives all across the board. Damn, you know, dude. Impossible to beat, yeah. So, the other one is obviously Ismet Inonu, our favourite. Yes. The Chad Inonu. Our favourite crypto yeah. communist. Yeah, we, we all know the truth. He was he is accused, and we'll get to it in the 60s, he is accused of secretly being a communist, <laughs> which is incredible. But, so Ismet Inonu, we're going to talk about him a lot in future episodes, because... As I explained, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that he was the leader of his party from, like, 1938 to 1971. Oh, boy. Like... That's a good run. He, yeah, he had a good run. He even won some elections sometimes. I, I would know. argue that he pro- probably has more of a role in shaping modern Turkey than Ataturk himself did. That may, that may be heretical. <laughs> this is the thing, right? How important is Ismet Inonu? I mean, like, I there are only two... Mel- well, politicians I would consider to have melty politics I've ever heard my parents speak about respectfully. One of them is Ismet Inonu's son, who will, be ta- who will have a brief appearance in the bonus episode that we're recording after this. And the other one is Ismet Inonu. Huh. Like, 
super weird, right? It's a super weird set of people to have, like, a little bit of respect for. None for Belen Ejivit, incidentally. No respect for him. Yeah. Like, my dad's, like, he's basically, he's a social fascist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I mean, I mean, and to be fair, to be fair, and when we get to the 90s, if we ever get to the 90s on this podcast, um, we will learn why, because he quite literally did what people, what the social fascism theory says social democrats will do, so. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, Ismet Inonu was Mustafa Kemal's choice for prime minister. He always favoured Ismet Inonu generally because they were mates and also because Ismet Inonu probably was the one person who could tell him, no, this is the other thing. This is the thing you should actually do. Which is why when the Great Depression hit, Turkey did statism instead of what Mustafa Kemal and the dipshit melts Jalal Bayar around him were saying, which is to deregulate everything. Ah, yes. Yeah, because that, that'll help, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an oversimplification. I'm not even sure if it was Jalal Bayar. I'm just blaming him because he's like the prime melt who I dislike in this period. Like, well, if but, he has issue with it, you should start his own fucking podcast. Yeah, that's right. Jalal Bayar, start your own podcast. Uh, I like how we're, we're quite happy but, to beef with dead people. Yeah, dead people, <laughs> I will leave in. Like, you know, because to most of the audience, these are fucking names. These are not people. These are names we're saying. I'm just saying funny names at the audience. You know there is a guy guy out there with like a globe in his like uh, display name who... Absolutely stands Chilal Bayar above all politicians. <laughs> I can't wait to find the guy with the nonsense <laughs> in his name who loves Jalal Bayar <laughs> and just fucking flame him with my episode <laughs> on it. Like, why Jalal Bayar was the third worst person to ever govern the television. Oh, amazing. Public. They let him have a go at it. Third? Yeah, maybe third. Damn. Oh, he was prime oh. minister uh, briefly. Ismet Inonu. Well, well, we'll talk. Well, we'll get there. But Ismet Inonu stands down as prime minister in 1924, actually, because he has health issues. Oh, he's not. He's not. He's not necessarily the most well man already. And yet he persists for fucking decades. And yeah, he's like he's nervous. <laughs> in Turkey. There's no other explanation. Was, was he doing like in a Bolsonaro style speed run where you get all the diseases at once? <laughs> I don't know. I, he. Well, here's the thing. Contracting COVID three times and trying to fight him. (laughs) Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, Spoiler alert for a future episode, I guess. But he survives an assassination attempt. Oh, yes. By the the emu. (laughs) In the 60s. Like, he's not young. And he never heard them coming either. Yeah, well... There's this great interview with Ismet Inonu where he's asked about the assassination attempt and he has a translator there and he's doing his shtick with the hearing aid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not listening to the British journalist's questions. Absolute king. Never listen to journalists. That's... Corbyn should have got a hearing aid. (laughs) And the translator is deliberately... um, Is deliberately, like... he, He translates wrong. He translates much longer. He, he translates in a much more eloquent way than Ismet Inonu. In, in, in the customer service trade, we call anyway, this finessing. You finessed it. So he steps, he steps down for health reasons. But So here's an example of where power, elements of power reside in the early Turkish Republic. So his successor can't win a confidence vote, despite the fact that every member of the parliament is in his party at this point. Well, basically every member is in his party at this point. He can't win. He can't win a confidence vote. Good God. Which is embarrassing. I feel... I, and the problem is that there's this rebellion, and we're going to talk about this rebellion later, because all of these events are kind of linked to each other in a weird... Well, they're linked by, like, sort of uh, the, the excuses that people make after these events are settled. But there's an event called the Sheikh Said Rebellion, who... Sheikh Said, by the way, looks fucking... Looks badass. He he looks like... Anyway, um... I'll, you know what? That's gonna go in the Discord. I refuse to put it in the, uh... In the episode notes, but... I'll find the picture of Sheikh Said. Oh, and, this um, is gonna be good. I mean, well, considering... Considering the characters know. we've encountered so far, who are made out of, like, bullets, or are actual literal pirates, I can't wait. Bottom right. Bottom right in episode notes. The guy with the big oh, white beard. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So there you go. We we're off to a good start with the with the types of guy we're finding. So 
basically the situation is so bad that Ataturk has to recall Isma Inanu from like illness, sick leave, basically. And ex- has to sit him down for seven hours and explain, like, no, dude, this is really bad. You need to be prime minister to deal with this. Literally, they won't vote for anyone else. <laughs> they want you to deal with this. Which is pretty incredible, I find. But Yeah. Yeah, so you can see that he, even though he's, like, not... He has a bit of a damaged reputation because of that whole thing where he does a tactical retreat and everyone gets really fucking angry at him. But... Like, he is still, like, a massively respected figure in the country because they won't vote for anyone else. They, they, you know, they try this guy, Mustafa Kamal handpicks, and they're like, no, we don't want this guy. He's fucking shit. Like, you picked the shit guy. Get the other guy back. Get the guy with the <laughs> hearing aid back here right now. Yes. And he wins that confidence vote, obviously. And he assumes the position of prime minister. The other, the other important guy is Fevzi Chakmak, who I mentioned earlier. So some people, like, kind of see him as a sort of counter-force to Ismet Inonu because he was, you know, he replaces Ismet Inonu as prime minister and as that general and in basically every single thing. He, he ends up succeeding Ismet Inonu in almost everything, right? Mm. And he doesn't even, he's, he doesn't really do much in terms of, like, formal political posts within Turkey. He's an ambassador a lot of the time. You know, he's sort of like got free roam to advise as a ver- as the as the other field marshal who's very important, and he was considered a legitimate successor to Mustafa Kemal. And some people think he would have been like a Franco-style dictator, a generalissimo, you know. And he also wasn't a JHP loyalist, a Republican People pa- People's Party loyalist. He was in the second big opposition party, so you know he he wasn't married to the party in that way. So was he just kind of like a free agent that just used his own influence to just kick about? Yeah, he his interest was mainly just like winning the independence war and then he just sort of like was just like I'm gonna step back from this because he because when he's considered a legitimate successor to Mustafa Kamal he's like well no obviously Ismet Inonu is going to be the successor not me. Like, this is the... Yeah, he's like, obviously it's got to be him, it can't be me. <laughs> like, he pretty much immediately was like, no, that's the guy who should be the successor. Are you insane? Of course it shouldn't be me. <laughs> like... Yeah, I I, uh, I understand that. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, that's my <laughs> attitude. People go, like, oh, you're the perfect guy to do this job, and it's like, oh, are, you sh- are you sure? There's a context to why he says that, because you got to remember, it's the thir- late, this will be the late 30s, it's after Turkey does all its statism stuff, and, you know, it's the Republican People's Party is leaning ever so, beginning to lean ever so slightly in a direction on the political spectrum at that mm. point. You know, as the great Ismet Inonu says, if you're populist and statist, you're left of centre. Ah, this is true, this is true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and by the way, left of center is um the way in Turkey that you say socialist without saying socialist. <laughs> so um Ortanun Solo, left of the center. They're like that was like the euphemism they would use to avoid being called communists, which as you might imagine didn't work very well. But no. you know. Yeah, it's it's very funny to me that they have this sort of they have their own coded language to suggest to sort of wink at people. Be like, no, 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 we're like the Soviet Union, but like without the mass starvation. Hopefully, <laughs> wink. Yeah, yeah. You know, In an ideal yeah, world, yeah, yeah. We're not communists on we're paper. We're like the Soviet. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, we are applying to join Common Terms. So. Yes. Um. <laughs> A thing Mustafa Kemal did try to do, so... <laughs> um, he tried to trick the common turn into giving him money. It's one of the biggest, like... It's such, like, a type of <laughs> level move to try and trick the common turn into giving you money by making a fake oh. communist party and having it apply for membership and being like, no, technically... Technically, it's in power. I I'm think we charge. should make steel bridges, not walls, the motto of the podcast, by the way. Okay, steel bridges, not walls. But no one will know what that means until the bonus episode on the bridge fence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, we, we, have, we have an opposition party, everyone. 
Um, and we'll talk about how it formed. But there had been very briefly like an opposition group, an independent group, you might call oh. it, in the uh, in the uh, Grand National Assembly before 1923. But they were mostly. It's kind of like when the UK had its national government and, you know, Labour were like, look, we're going to send 60 of our MPs to sit in opposition and just shout at us, basically, to at least have, like, the motion of democracy, you know, going on. So we don't sort of lose could our you touch Could you it. imagine a Labour party where 60 members aren't just routinely rebelling anyway? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> long may it continue. It makes them look like a fucking clown <laughs> show. So. But we, we have the Progressive Republican Party who have that really dope logo that I'm going to make a sticker of. Well, I'm going to make a, a podcast sticker of that logo, which you can see in the Work Talk chat, yes. by the way. I do like it. Yeah. I, I think there's something to be done with that. Oh, 100%. But yeah, we have the Progressive Republican Party. And so the background of their formation is Mustafa Kamal felt like there were a lot of ideological opponents in his party, which given that it's a national liberation movement, effectively. Yeah, there were probably quite a few, and he needed an excuse to be rid of them, or at least to know who they were, so he could strong-arm them in certain ways, or, you know, do some uh, pork-barrel politics. Because, you know, they're all MPs for a place, you know, for a region of Turkey. So it's like, you know, maybe maybe if you support secularism, I'll build a bridge, you know, <laughs> where you're... <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> and who knows what happens after that? After after the bridge is built, it's not. Who knows whose problem it is? If the bridge ever gets built, yeah. Well, that's also a good point because Turkey did not have any industry for a lot of this time. So, but he. But here's the thing: when once you start making lists of enemies, it tends to end like this because he identified so many members of his own party as like ideological opponents that he thought he was in the minority within his own party. Oof. So if he chucked everyone out, he would be a minority oh, government. Oh, man. Which is, yeah, you don't love to see it, but the parties found... So basically, there's some parliamentary fuckery that happens, uh, which leads to the parliament... Be, uh, sorry, which leads to the party being found, right? So they, they do a censure motion where they're like, oh, we're very disappointed in something the government's done. And it sort of escalates to the level of being a confidence vote in Mustafa Kamal, who won... 140 votes to 14, basically. <laughs> Fuck. So it wasn't a very good fucking confidence mm. vote attempt, no. was it? You will note that, like, half the parliament didn't show up. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Maybe they were told they could go home. But they... Some, the MP there was something good on the telly. Yeah. Um, but the 14 MPs who voted against him and a few of the abstainers joined together to form the Progressive Republican Party, which was a liberal centre-right party which claimed it didn't have a problem with the bulk of Mustafa Kemal's reforms, <sighs> just Mustafa Kemal and the secularism and the cultural stuff. That's <laughs> chestnut. Yeah. Kem Kemalism without Kemal. Let's go. Let's do it. Was this, a, this party set up just to protect single-sex spaces for women or something? <laughs> I mean, to be fair... Yes! Bearing in mind... <laughs> Shit! That, um, that, how, that, that, that a lot of, like, religious, polit you know, political Islamists, basically, sort of would rally to... I just realised, yeah. Uh, you've just... You've, yeah, you've... Yeah, but not for turf reasons, for Islam reasons. <laughs> That's the to be clear. Yes. This is entirely different reasons why they <laughs> So so there's also this weird thing where they people seem to think that the Progressive Republican Party were like opposed to Mustafa Kamal doing state socialism, which if he was doing state socialism that would have been news to uh, to Mustafa Kamal, I think. Like he would have been like he would have been very confused by this, especially because like Turkey's early economic policy was like we want private accumulation of wealth so that we can have capitalism. Yeah. Like actual capitalism. The class the class structure of capitalism so that we can actually and, and have e economy. Even, you know, even the then, first the leader of the Turkish like, Communist Party was on board with this program, to be fair. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah, like, this is the thing. Like, there's, you know, there's this, um... <laughs> there's this sort of, like, um... The Stalinist foreign policy, right? Which was to tell communist parties in the global south to be junior partners in making 
capitalism happen because they thought that there was no chance of them achieving victory without progression along the you know, development of capitalism because that seems to be the overarching theory. In which case, I'm excited for America's <laughs> communist revolution oh, yes. coming very soon. <laughs> but also, yeah, that's probably what fucked the Indonesian Communist Party. I reread uh, Jakarta Method between reading this Ian Duncan Smith book so it's on my mind. God, how's that for a palate cleanser, man? Fucking hell. That book was so bad that you read a, a book about like a politically motivated genocide just to get your mind off it. Yeah, it's really fucking shit. <laughs> anyway, um, by the time this is out, the book review will have happened, so you could probably check it out on my Twitch. But yeah, they were not doing state socialism. There was no state socialism happening in Turkey in the 20s. It didn't exist. There's never been any socialism going on in this country. Like, do, I, I think everyone is still stuck. Well, people who say this are like, socialism is when the government does stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, which is wrong. Socialism is when the government does trains. Yes. Yeah. We, have to, we have to be specific and clear about what stuff it is that socialism when it does, is. When it does trains and, and gulags. And builds tanks. That's it. That's it, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I, I don't think people... Look, the reason this party formed is because they did not like the leadership of Mustafa Kemal and they wanted to resist the secularization and the sort of West, what they saw as like inappropriate westernization of society. That is it. There is no state socialism being opposed here. Yes, they were a center-right party. Yes, they were economically liberal. It's, it's not the main... So were the Republican People's Party, right? <laughs> Like, th yeah, they nationalized a lot of stuff, but also they did capitalism. So that's, that's all I'm going to say on the matter. So the party remains in opposition and it's allowed to continue existing until it's shut down because of the Sheikh Syed rebellion, which is most people sort of understand it to be the first major Kurdish uprising against the Turkish state as the modern republic. But that's not quite right. It was like the first big one, like the first one that was like, big enough to command serious attention yeah. from the Turkish state. But the first rebellion was this sort of smaller rebellion that was mainly motivated by the abolition of the caliphate. Oh. Which, it keeps coming up. This caliphate business keeps fucking coming up. And also, obviously, motivated by prohibitions placed on Kurdish and all of the related languages that were spoken in Turkey. Because obviously, Kurdish is like, a big language group spoken by a lot of people. So there, there's a lot going on there. So Sheikh Syed was a notable, he's a notable influential Kurdish figure. And he, as I mentioned, looked very cool. He did look like the kind of guy who would do a guerrilla revolt against the guerrilla revolt nation. <laughs> and his rebellion was supported by a group called Azadi, which means freedom in English. It was officially called, and I'm not going to read the Kurdish because I don't know what, I, I can give it a good go, but I'm not going to get it right. So, Society for Kurdish Independence. So, this is a, explicitly an independence movement, right? Oh. This is not like, you know, this is explicit, like, we want separation from Turkey. Now, there, are, there is this, this element of we're resisting Turkification, but we're also resisting this sort of this lingering thing of resentment about the caliphate. It turns out it was kind of a big deal to abolish huh. it. Which, which they didn't see coming, apparently. It turns out abolishing the caliph in a budget negotiation <laughs> was uh, controversial among some. I say those people are cowards, but whatever. <laughs> the long and short of it is that the rebellion is, like, is crushed, and it's crushed brutally. And Turkey has, at this point, these special courts called independence courts they're like really high powered executive courts that have a lot of they, they have very little oversight and a lot of power a lot of these anti-kurdish policies that the early turkish state had because there's a little bit of mythologizing about the early turkish state where they're like oh you know the civic nationalism but no they were they were like there were lots of speeches given by lots of prominent republican people's party politicians being like Oh no, the problem is Kurdish people. Like, they need to stop being Kurdish, and then we can all be Turkish and it'll be fine. Oh boy. That's, that's oh. a paraphrase of basically a speech given by Mustafa Kemal. Oh shit. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, so yeah, you, you, hate, you hate to see it. 
Yeah, so this is not it's not good, obviously. And it definitely caused a lot of problems. In fact, um after this rebellion is sort of done and dusted, there's a report called the Report for Reform of the East. Basically the report's goals are we don't want the Kurdish elite in this region to have any governing capacity or look legitimate as government. Huh. You know. And part of doing that is so part of doing that is uh we need to resettle people into the southeast of Turkey who will make it difficult for them, you know, to govern. As be a separate government, be a parallel government. Right? Because that's what the Turkish nationalists did, right? When in the independence war, they formed a parallel government. Oh, right. Okay, so they're just gonna reverse engineering it, being like, ah, can't let this happen again. Yeah, they're, they're like, we formed a parallel government because the thing is, the Kurds were not just like you know limited in geographical distribution to Turkey. They're in Syria. They're in Iraq. They're in Iran. Right. This is tacitly approved of by France and Britain and Iran. <laughs> of course. And you've got to remember, Iran at the time is the Shah's, um, it's the Pahlavi dynasty. So it's very much, you can just count that as the Brits as well at this point. You know, it, it is in essence the Brits approving. Yeah, shocked shock you know, to learn that we were up to, we were at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is done because the largest Kurdish population exists in Turkey. So... It's obviously Turkey, mainly Turkey's problem to solve. Why did the largest of the Kurds not simply consume the Syrian, Iraqi, <laughs> and Iranian Kurds? This, this is the yeah. It's one of these things where there are different um, languages within the Kurdish language group. Ah, I see. So there are different dialects. I, I, I think it's dialects. I'll, I'll say dialect, but someone can correct me if that's wrong. And there's a particular dialect that's spoken in Turkey. There's um, there are dialects plural spoken in Turkey still today, but they there are distinctions. So it's not it's not quite one unified you know quite unified language group in that way. And there are cultural differences because it's a big geographic area. You know you're talking about you know central Syria to kind of northeastern Turkey. These big places. A lot of different stuff going on, a lot of different people around you. And so they want to have uh, inspected inspectorate generals, right? They want to have basically martial law in these oh, provinces. Shit. And the other, the other thing they want to do is they want to basically, they want to ban non-Turkish languages. This, this report says you need to ban non-Turkish languages. Not even just Kurdish and Zaza, which is the other uh, language that's in play here, they're like, no, just all non-Turkish languages need to be banned, and also we need to not employ Kurds in certain jobs. They're not allowed to have certain jobs. Mm. That, that would be news to some of the people in the Republican People's Party who are of Kurdish descent, some of the quite prominent people, actually. Oof. Yeah. That that would have been interesting to see if they'd applied that properly. But of course, all this race science bullshit never actually is applied. It's always, you know... It always has exceptions. Yeah, yeah, there's always <laughs> like an asterisk, and it's always someone near the top who gets the big asterisk, right? So there's also this policy of we want to provide 7 million lira to resettle Kurds in other parts of Turkey, not the southeast. You know, we want to settle them in Istanbul or wherever. Not Istanbul, they really didn't want to settle them there. Because there was already a lot of Kurdish people there. But they're like, we need to move people around. We need to resettle people in order to dilute their culture and merge it into ours. Do we, if only we had a word for this. Yeah. Oh boy. This thing that keeps <laughs> happening. If only, if this thing that seems to keep happening in this specific country, in this particular time period, if only we had a word for it. <laughs> right? Oh, no. Yeah, so. Oh. You're not allowed to. So. Now, not all of this is, is implemented. There were a lot of resettlement laws. There were also uh, town name. Towns were renamed, right? Officially renamed. They're like, you can't have Kurdish names for towns. So Batman, which we talked about in the, uh, in the last bonus episode, can't be called Elih anymore, right? It has to be called Batman, which didn't cause any problems in the future. Mm -hmm. None, none whatsoever. 
no problems. But yeah, basically, they they did a racism report. They did a racism report after the after the uprising. There's no other, there's no other way to sort of describe what's happened here. They did a racism report, and it was a fucking abysmal piece of shit <laughs> that no one should have no one should have followed their fucking letter of it. If you ask me, yeah, Just a, abysmal. And these anti-Kurdish policies are pushed and. You know, they, they persist for a long time. Some of these policies were only repealed in the 2000s. Jesus. Right? Like, some of the policies about, you know, you can't speak Kurdish in certain workplaces. Like, government workplaces, you couldn't speak Kurdish. I'm not even sure that's been repealed. That's something I'm going to have to double-check after the recording. But I'm not even sure that's been repealed everywhere. Jesus. Right? I'm pretty sure that's there are only, like, exemptions in certain regions for that. Yeah. Right? Because who gives... Anyway, look, I'm not going to get into my feeling about who gives a fuck what language people are speaking at work. Well, honestly, who the cares? British, like, for a start. Well, the British, yeah. As long as it's yeah, not English, right. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, this is a fucking shit show already. So, if anyone's thinking, oh, Mustafa Kemal, you know, he ran such a lovely government... That was not racist, not as racist as Turkey was later. No, it all started in his government, pretty much. You know, whether he personally meant it or not is kind of irrelevant, given what happened. Yeah. So, and all, also yeah. irrelevant is whether or not it was the style at the time. Yes. Yeah. Also, that's actually irrelevant, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, friend of the show, Doctor Anil Yanaga, is listening, but she she would very much approve of judging historical figures. By modern standards, because of yeah. course we can judge historical figures by modern standards. What are you, you know? What yeah. else are we meant to judge them by? Yeah, I mean, it all it always winds me up when people people go on about like, oh well, you know, yeah, a lot of Americans owned slaves, but everyone owned slaves back then. It's like John Brown would like a word. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. Like, this is the thing about like everyone owned slaves, and particularly the slave argument is yeah. like. Oh, uh, you know how <clears throat> how would anyone have known better? They were abolitionist I th- I think the, groups. Yeah. I find the very funny thing about this kind of historical relativism is that these people have massive problems with any kind of moral or cultural relativism in any other field, like in anthropology or like in like policy making about, you know, just like anything at all, really. But no, they suddenly become like hardcore like relativists when it comes to history. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Yeah, who, who could say? <laughs> I wonder what motives they could, they could be uh, following there. <laughs> Who's to say? Anyway, um, we're now moving on to some other drama. 1926. So we're going to move along a little bit. 1926, there's something called the Izmir Plot in English, which was uncovered, which was an alleged plot to assassinate Mustafa Kemal, which began with a letter some people think is fake. Oh. So if you're if you're wondering whether Turkey and Britain are the same country, yes, yes they are. Fake letters um, <laughs> in the twenties. They're two years apart. Yeah, two years apart. You know. So first of all, I don't know for sure that it was a fake. No one knows. There are some historians who say it's a fake, or who say that there was no real plot. It is a very convenient letter to find because it lists. It just has a list of fucking plotters in it. <laughs> It is basically the list of people who are doing big crimes with me. Dot <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> it is not, a, and it has like a little bit of the plan. So the plan is basically. Uh, by the way, everyone in this plan is described by like their ethnicity, <laughs> which is even fucking weird. Hmm. They're like, it's oh yeah, definitely uh, real, Cretan- definitely real. Cretan- <laughs> yeah, like. Oh, um, oh, Georgian Yusuf <laughs> is going to be throwing bombs at his car. I'm not even kidding. That is the name of the guy. Or Luz Ismail, another ethnic group. Oh, like, wow. And everyone is, des- everyone is described by their ethnic group or where they're from. There's like Cretan Shevki. <laughs> like, it's, it is, yeah. That 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 sound that would that would be entirely believable if it was a letter by like British squaddies. Yeah, you know I mean? that's <laughs> yeah, exactly like the if... sort of nickname they would give. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
what's, yeah, like, what's the Turkish for racy? The assassination plan is really fucking stupid, incident. How, how, stu- how stupid are we talking, though, on a scale of, like, one to the CIA trying to, like, get fucking, you know what I mean? Bold uh, Sukarno. Bold Sukarno. <laughs> how, how many Bold oh, Sukarnos out of five is... have we got here? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to give it, like... Two and a half bald Sakanas because it would it would have killed him if it worked. But there are the specifics of the plan and also referring to everyone by their ethnicity that I find really weird. Yeah. It so, would have it would have killed him if it had worked. Is that a Lord Bearing if? Yeah, because the plan was so basically, uh Mustafa Kamal's car would be in this district of um of Izmir, uh Kamaralta. Wait a minute, wait. Are they just trying to Franz Ferdinand him? <laughs> Yep, yep, they're Franz Ferdinand. It's exact. It is. This is why I think it's fake, by the way, because it is exactly Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> let me let me do, no. It's let me read what would have happened, right? So Zia Hurshitbe, who um is an MP in the uh, in the Parliament, who has personal beef with Mustafa Kamal, who was a member of the Committee of Union Progress. So he's a believable guy to be involved in the plot. Like he has personal beef with him is an ideological opponent. Yeah. He would have shot at him from a hotel <laughs> while okay. Georgian Yusuf and Laz Ismail would have thrown bombs and explosives at him from a barbershop under the hotel. What? The, 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 thing, okay. thing about, so, the thing about replicating they, the Franz Ferdinand plot is that it only worked out the way it did because they fucked up several times with the assassination. So what these guys are planning to do is fuck up an assassination so badly that they need to move to plan B yeah. Yeah. right at the outset. That's brilliant. <laughs> and <laughs> and they plan to escape from the scene with uh, the aforementioned Cretan Shevki, who would wait in a car on the side street and then send them to Chios with like a motorboat. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Chios is a Greek island off the coast. Of is he? Turkey, is he only? In, he only included in the plan because he's the guy that owns a van. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, the like... most, the most important member of every teenage band. But but here's what here's what happened. Uh, a telegram was sent to Mustafa Kemal by the Izmir governor on the 14th of June, and the plan was uncovered, and the president just postponed his trip. He just <laughs> decided, nope. And and the thing is. The fuck, fa- the fuck face Cretan Shevki sends the letter to the governor of Izmir, <laughs> ac- probably, allegedly by accident, which includes the lists of everyone involved in the plot. Brilliant. I, I think, I think there's a, there's a strong case to be made for just abolishing letters. I don't think anyone's ever sent a good letter since that one guy, like fucking, that kept all of his like complaints. You know, the like Inesir. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think he was the last. I don't know. I, to have good I quite like James Joyce's letters. I, I think the the last. Oh I was Jesus Christ! The, the the last good letter was. I was just thinking the last good letter was the Babylonian complaint. I yeah. think that was the last good letter. I think I think the first and last one. Yeah, it, it, it's safe. It's definitely safe to say that letter writing peaked in ancient Babylon. Oh, absolutely! Because you had to, you had to have them on clay tablets. It's it, there's no art to it anymore. You just send an email. Yeah. I want to send clay tablets to India to communicate with my coworkers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we all, we only have those clay tablets because his house burnt down. Huh. Yeah. Presumably, <laughs> presumably it was arson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like someone's yeah. like just finally <laughs> sick of his shitty copper. There are a bunch of yeah. There are a bunch of them that are like legitimately things that we only have because the sea people attacked as they were writing a letter. That yeah. <laughs> rules. And they're writing and they're writing letters like, uh, "Brother, the sea people are at the door." So, uh, <laughs> I think you were going to send the fucking letter, by the way. Like, and also they do this thing. Anyway, this is this is not the topic of the podcast, but I'm going to go on about it. They do this thing in like ancient in sort of the bronze age where they all refer to each other as like siblings and father and uncle and all these other things in their letters because they all because probably because they're all inbred as fuck because they're all royals anyway he sure it wasn't like an an early progenitor smaller than an early progenitor of that my brother in christ meme they were doing (laughs) yeah just it's just ancient babylonian (laughs) tumblr that's what it is they're all just they're all just shipping each other but yeah, so this this assassination plot was a fucking shit show. Let's it, let's put it like this: it would not have worked even if they attempted to do it. Like, 
that has too many moving parts for it to be a viable assassination attempt, in my opinion. Yeah. Because something somewhere's... Even if you kill the fucker, you, you, you're still fucked. <laughs> How are you going to get driven by... Anyway, it's not important. So, a lot of the plotters who are named are former members of the Committee of Union and Progress. Now, the thing is, some people might be like, well, why didn't they just refound the Committee of Union and Progress? Here's a thing. First illegal political party in the Republic of Turkey. Committee of Union and Progress. Oh, they just banned it. The Young Turks. Yeah, Cenk Uygur crying as he's made illegal. They just love to ban things in Turkey. Yet again, another way that they're just like the Brits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, really strange one, actually. I did not think that... I thought it was no one ever attempted to found it again. But no, they just explicitly were like, you cannot found this party again. Has, um, has Turkey ever banned like music with a repetitive beat? <laughs> don't think so there's never been any music bands i don't think there may have been like sp- no there, no there have been music bands but only of communists oh people they thought were communists damn so yeah you hate to see that but yeah so there are some committee of union and progress members who went on to become members of the progressive republican party who are named in this uh letter And obviously, like, because there are only two parties and they're both massive, like, you know, there were a lot of people in all these parties, basically. And a lot of the plotters were also members of the military, which meant that most of them were kind of, because a lot of them would have fought in the independence war on the right side of the independence war. Yeah. Even if they didn't agree. So they're kind of like, look, you're named in this letter, but we're going to need you to retire from the military immediately and just shut the fuck up forever. And they do that with 14 of the 50... Well, with all of the generals except one who's executed. Oh. And actually, I should mention that Sheikh Syed is executed by hanging at the end of his rebellion as well, which is the, which is the method of execution at the time. And so this is the thing. He, he ends up executing quite a lot of people, removing a lot of people from public life. And, you know, some think, like, is Mustafa Kemal doing this as a pretext to purge his political opponents and people he had beef with in the, you know, 1910s? Probably. Yeah, he's probably doing that. He, he, he did love a good purge, Mustafa Kemal. We'll probably talk about it next time or, yeah, probably next time. He loved to purge the Communist Party of Turkey. You know, it, it was his party. He could purge as he liked. Yeah. yeah, that's true, in a very Stalin way. He also did some purges of right-wingers. I mean, I guess this is technically a purge of right-wingers. It, it all evens out in the end, I guess. So, well, that's funny, because that is what some a, a dictator of Turkey said. <laughs> oh, you know, for, every, for, for every communist I kill, I kill a fascist. Why are these people so ungrateful? <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> That's that's true radical centrism, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, that's yet more proof that fascism is in fact centrism. So, the the so what's the aftermath of all this? Like, where did Mustafa Kemal see the threats to his power from? Right. So, he sees the threat to his power as coming from spontaneous multi-party democracy. Right. It's not controlled. It's not managed. You know, these people are plotting against me. Or at least that's the public appearance of it. He's like, I can't have multiple parties. Look at what happens. People try and assassinate me. Oh, (laughs) guess we're going to have to wait for that, right? Wait for the right time. Now is not the time for democracy. Yeah. (laughs) Very Keir Starmer, but now is not the time. So we, uh, that's put on hold. The multi-party bit, no, we're just, we're not, we're not doing it for now. And they actually blamed the Sheikh Syed rebellion on the Progressive Republican Party. Because they thought, like, well, you know, the first rebellion these people did, it was about the caliph, and these people are kind of religious, so, therefore, what if we blame them for it? And that was the actual reason this party was shut down, was they blamed them for the Sheikh Syed rebellion. So, like, the assassination plot, apparently, more or less fine. Sheikh Syed rebellion, not really. I'm just imagining, like, like the grey zone or something, saying, this Sheikh Syed rebellion, clearly another colour revolution sponsored by the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Actually, wait, did I get my timelines right there? Either way, basically one of these things is a straw that breaks the camel's back and they go back to the Sheikhside Rebellion and they're like, yeah, you guys did that, so we're banning you. You're undermining the, you know, the unitary nature of the Turkish state. And to be fair, the Progressive Republican Party advocated for decentralization. Ah. So, 
Mm. Yeah. Considering this is a country that just centralized its education system, I can't imagine that being a very... A, a, a politics that would gain much traction among the elite in Turkey. So it also meant that Turkey took like a much more authoritarian turn towards the Kurds, because what, the, what does Mustafa Kemal see as a threat now? You know, linguistic and ethnic division within the country. So you have to have a harder position against that. What's the harder position? Well, it's banning the language, you can't have jobs, you have to be resettled, we're renaming all your towns, stuff like that, right? Ah. Uh. And it, Sheikh Syed's brother actually starts launching revenge attacks against the Turkish state. He fights like a two-year-long guerrilla campaign against the Turkish state. <laughs> Good for him. Which, yeah, because, and it wasn't like, the motivation is explicitly like, no, you killed my brother. And it's like, the Kurdish independence stuff is kind of like, yeah, we'll cross that bridge if we come to it, but also you killed my brother. <laughs> And he, yeah. he does this. Real, real, yeah. uh, real John Wick hours. Yeah, and he, brothers, plural even, I think, because it's a big family, a lot of power, a lot of money behind them. And he eventually gives up when there's a general amnesty in 1928, which means that he... And Turkey loves to do general amnesty, by the way. And, you know, they turn themselves in and they don't get executed and they hand in their weapons and, you know, they, he got it out of the system, basically. I I love that. Like we're just, you know what I mean. We're, we're sick of this. Let's just fucking settle for a draw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't, you know. Anyway, yeah. They they were just like, you know what? Fair enough. I got it out of my system. My brother. Yeah. It's, it's almost. Avenged, it's almost you know, like you know when you declare a piece like that. It's almost like an acknowledgement of wrongdoing on your own part as well. Like it's like truth and reconciliation. You know. Yeah. Except there was no truth or reconciliation. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. Turkey misses so many opportunities to actually resolve these issues. That it's, it's amazing to me that this country still exists in some ways. But the thing that also happens is, by having opposition that was centre-right and sort of pro-decentralisation and, you know, and sort of softer on the secularism position and softer on the, you know, the social reforms, it starts defining the Republican People's Party a little bit. Because suddenly they're not those things, right? They're not centre-right. They're not so much a centre-right party because people who are centre-right were in this party that, you know, ostensibly were traitors, basically. Yeah. On multiple levels. So suddenly centre-right... God, could you imagine living in a country where you could call centre-right politicians traitors and it would actually stick? Oh, God. Oh. But in any case, like, you start to see... Like, it's not leftism yet, it's not centre-left yet, it's not left-to-centre yet, it's none of those things, but you start to see a bit of definition forming on this national liberation movement. It's starting to become a party, right? An actual political party. It's also, you know, a racist political party. Mm. Like, an explicitly racist political party. This is not, this is not good news overall. Like, it's, it's an explicitly racist political party, it's an explicitly authoritarian political party as of this point. Probably still now. I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get to 2022. Or, or whenever we get to today. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In the podcast. We're, we're racing against actual time to get this done. <laughs> so, but it's explicitly... And to be fair, if you listen to the first three episodes, you would know it's explicitly racist because they had a whole thing where they were deciding what people were actually people in Turkey in the, in the treaty negotiation, which is famously quite a racist thing to do but we get to 1926 there is some more drama of the 20s we'll probably have to talk about what we want to do next i definitely want to talk about the purge of 1927 of the turkish communist party and the kadro movement oh yes my boys i know i know i know ben is really into it they, they are the meltiest communist movement <laughs> oh this sounds so cool I, though <laughs> They do sound really cool, but also they were they were a branch of Kemalism. They were the left wing of Kemalism. They were social Kemalists. Oh there you boy. Go. We circled back. We circled it back. Proto Blairites. Right. So I, well, <laughs> well they had an annoying magazine, mm. you know. Though the magazine does look well designed. Oh so. yeah. Ten out of ten for the graphic design yeah, there, lads. The, yeah, that's one for the uh, that's one for the Discord. Right. With that all out of the way, uh, I think that's it for us for now. Okay. So we will catch you all next time. Yep. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Cheers. See, See ya. ya.
gelişler ola Mustafa Kemal Paşa Hoş gelişler ola Mustafa Kemal Paşa Askerin milletin bayrağına çok yaşa Askerin milletin bayrağına çok yaşa Arş 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 